You're listening to Market Like a Fintech, a podcast on a mission to find out what marketing strategies and tactics the top fintech companies in the industry use to acquire real customers, build a brand and grow revenue. I'm Araminta, your host for today, a marketing consultant at Mint Studios and partner at the Fintech Marketing Hub. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Vidya Peters, Chief Marketing Officer at Marketa. Before Marketa, Vidya served as the Chief Marketing Officer at MuleSoft, an enterprise software company focused on APIs and integration. What's Marketa? It's a card issuing platform designed for companies that want a simplified and flexible payment program. Marketa won the 2019 Best Fintech Startup Award by Fintech Breakthrough and the Best Enterprise Technology Company at the 2019 Lendit Fintech Industry Awards. In 2020, it was valued at $4.3 billion and has well-known clients such as Square, Uber, Instacart and Affirm. In this episode, Vidya and I talk about how to market a company to developers, Marketa's focus on product marketing and how they manage marketing to both high-growth startups such as Uber and more established brands such as JP Morgan Chase. Let's hear from Vidya. Hi, Vidya. So you took uh, MuleSoft public on the New York Stock Exchange back in 2017, and you've you have experience marketing financial services companies now, both private and public. So my first question to you is, what is something that's different between marketing a private and a public company? What is something that you didn't expect to happen when you had to, you know, market a company that was on the stock exchange? I think the level of risk that you can take is much higher when you're a private company. You can put, um, you can take a lot of chances. You can tell daring stories you can uh, put the bold claims out there about your company, about your platform, uh, without having the legal team having to scrutinize um, every data point within the analysis that went behind that. You can take more chances with telling customer stories. And when you go public, just the level of scrutiny on your marketing is significantly more substantial. Everything needs to be approved, pre-approved, uh, at multiple levels with multiple stakeholders. And so it slows down the marketing process and it takes a little bit of more caution before you, you can put something out there on the main stage. That said, the platform is so much bigger. And so you're very instantly rewarded with a much larger audience that is not only paying attention to you at your debut, but then again on a quarterly basis every time you're telling your story to the street. So it's a, it's a question of trade-offs and, and you build new muscles, but they're both gratifying in their own ways. I read a, an interesting quote by your CEO, uh, Jason Gardner, saying that you have like a, a special ability to craft like compelling narratives about complex enterprise platform products like um, MuleSoft and now Marketa. So I'd love to hear you know, how do you think you gained those skills? How you, what kind of experience helped you build that specific skill set? I think I've always had a love for technology because it has just changed lives in such a dramatic way. It's changed the pace of innovation for companies. But I think what has fascinated me even more is bringing that complexity to a broader audience. And from the beginning of time, human beings have loved stories. It's how we listen. It's how we 
absorb information. It's how we engage and are compelled to make change. And so that's the part that I've loved is distilling that complexity into easy to understand stories that then inspire someone or compel someone to make change happen. And would you say that there's a big difference between B2B and B2C? Because obviously that's true, but one could argue that for B2B, sometimes it's a little bit more complicated. Although I like to say, obviously, B2B is still B to a person, right? Still a person. So how do you shift that narrative from you know, B2B and maybe B2C, for example? I think at the heart of it, it comes down to storytelling. You'll see phenomenal storytelling in B2C. You've seen less of it historically in B2B, and that's what's been new and interesting on the B2B marketing side. But stories have been memorable, have been engaging for a time immemorial. They've just been really easy to get from the get-go on the B2C side. They're products you and I touch and use and experience. But how do you build a story that's about something that is in the back-end infrastructure that you can't even (laughs) fathom or engage with? And I think that's what makes it more of a novel concept in B2B. But I think that's where the art lies, which is how do you tie this complex technology, APIs, the reinvention of financial technology, the modernization of infrastructure into something that you and I can understand and that we could explain to our parents and and they would be able to grok it because you were able to draw a connection between what's so deep in the back end or in the cloud to how their lives are changed every day because of it. I think that's very important. And I like how you're even in B2B, you want to make something that even our grandparents could understand. That's quite, that's something that I don't see very often on B2B websites. For example, I write website copy for some, for some B2B fintechs. And sometimes you land on a website, on a B2B website, and you're like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I understand. And sometimes it's difficult to say because you're also like, okay, there's so much tech involved. There's so much, there's so many tools involved that, you know, the, the person on the street can't understand. Should I be using these technical words or should I try and explain them? So where do you think you could draw the line? Like, it, I know it's super difficult, but where do you draw the line between being oversimplified and using the right words, for example? I think that is a really important question because in B2B, your audience is very fragmented. Uh, as an example, Marketa sells to the C-suite on the business value proposition, but we have to win the hearts of developers because developers are who build on our platform. And you know, developers really resonate with the beauty of technology, the simplicity of APIs, with SDKs, with documentation. They just want to know how things work. And they mostly want you to get out of the way. And by you, I mean marketing. And so how do you ensure that you are telling a compelling story to the C-suite? How do you ensure that consumers, you and I, our families, People who may want to work at the company, people who may want to invest at the company, understand what the company does, yet you don't lose the credibility and trust of the people that will use your platform and live and breathe on it every day. And I think that people put a lot of burden on a website, on the web page or the homepage, and it is a super important part. It is the face of your company. But I think your marketing and your messaging has the benefit of multi-channels. It has the benefit of a variety of different assets, whether that is white papers or customer stories or videos or webinars. And, um, you know, you have to take advantage of all of those to reach these broad segments. And so the way we approach it at Marketa is we ensure that everything that we believe the developers will engage with, such as uh, the developer sections of our platform or documentation, uh, say the community, 
we ensure that we mostly get out of the way. You shouldn't see anything in there that looks like marketing because we want our developers to just get into the technology and know how things work and be able to hear from other developers. And where we ensure that we're using our storytelling is, for example, in the press, where you have the broadest audience. And that's when it's everything from investors to candidates to the C-suite that you want to ensure that they're able to grok what your platform does at a very compelling and simple level without too much time or effort. And so ensuring that you're using these multiple channels in a thoughtful way is what's important and having that come together in a complete picture. So we always ask the question of where does this content lie in the funnel? Is it all the way at the top of the funnel? Is it in the press level? Then absolutely, that's where you use storytelling. Is it more in midway through the funnel where you're perhaps uh, publishing a white paper or webinar, then you start to get more technical. It's more about the platform. Tell me how this works. Tell me the use cases. Tell me what other problems that this will exactly solve at a, at a technology level. And then when it actually comes to the absolute bottom of the funnel and where the developers are rolling up their sleeves, then you're really allowing the technology to speak for itself and making that as dropped dead easy for developers as possible. And so it's more of a nuanced approach, but I think in marketing, we really have the benefit of the variety of channels and the variety of assets to bring together to tell a more complete picture and story of the company. I really like that. I like how you're focusing on different parts of the of the funnel. And actually, that was going to be my next question is, how do you market to developers? Because developers have a much higher BS detector, for example. They, they don't want to see the marketing. They just want to see the code, as you're saying, or, or the documentation. And you've kind of just already answered that, which is basically just remove the marketing when, when it's bottom of the funnel, right? When they're ready to use it. When it's top of the funnel, when they're not even aware of Marketa, for example, how would you, how would you try and get a develop, developer interested? Yeah, I think developer marketing is such an oxymoron. I just don't know how those two words yeah. I much prefer uh, developer community or developer sure. relations uh, because I honestly believe that developers don't want to hear from you or the company. They want to hear from each other. They don't want to hear what you have to say about the platform. They want to see it and use it. And they don't want to talk to you or meet with you. They want to meet with each other. And so the best thing that you can do when you are trying to help and support developers, again, the, the choice of my words there is meaningful. It's not to market to, but to really help and support developers is to mostly get out of the way and give them the tools and resources so that they can do what they love, which is throwing themselves into the platform, connecting with each other and speaking with other developers. And mostly what you're doing then is creating the fertile ground and the resources for them to be able to do that. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm not sure if, Vidya, you're a developer yourself, but you are not coding every day, I'm guessing. So as someone who, someone like me or someone who is not a developer and who's in marketing, who maybe doesn't understand the underlying concepts so well, uh, just kind of, you know, how, how it works on the top, how do you communicate to whether it's developers or C-suite even when you maybe don't, I mean, you obviously understand it, but there are certain aspects that are a lot more te technical that you shouldn't need to understand. So yeah, how do you try and communicate that? Yeah, I started as a computer engineer in undergrad and then switched to industrial engineering. So the last time I coded was, was far too long ago. Um, I think that sometimes it's a blessing if you haven't come from the field of marketing. 
if you've actually been a developer and you now have the privilege of marketing a very technical product, that's a wonderful place to be because what you bring is something very valuable. You bring the perspective of a potential user, of a potential customer. And so the question I would always ask is, if you were on the other side of the table, what would matter to you? What's the problem you're looking to solve? And how can you then, using your words, using your content, be in service to that person, to that problem, and to their end objectives? And I think that's what people fundamentally often forget, especially in careers marketers. We've been doing this for so long. We're so caught up in our own spiel that we forget that it's actually not about us at all. It's really about the audience and who you're talking to and what's top of mind for them. And so I would almost start with those basics. And and at the, the most fundamental level, you have to remember that human beings in many ways have been marketing their whole lives. You've been doing it since a kid. I have two kids. I see them marketing to me all day. They're always telling me or convincing me of why I should do something. (laughs) And so that's all you're doing is you're wearing the perspective of the audience and saying, what's their pain point? And what is their motivation to change or to take action? And how can I engage with them on that? And so I, I, I almost think it's a blessing that you come from a developer background because I think that can make you an even more powerful marketer. I mean, I, I completely agree. But I guess my question is, what if you don't? <laughs> what if you don't come from a developer background and you're marketing to developers? Although, as you said, you're not marketing directly. You're maybe trying to build a community, but you kind of, you're still having to write the copy, right? You're still having to maybe talk to the C-suite. How are you... How are you going to try and describe what your product does maybe to someone who's a lot more technical than you when you are not a developer in this case? So that is a good question. And I would strongly urge you not to, (laughs) because again, I don't want you writing copy for developers. It, It really is not a very effective way for them at all. If you're writing copy, you're writing copy for a more business oriented audience because they're reading it. And so the question you should ask is, what do developers engage with? Um, They engage with um, projects that developers have built. They engage with meetups. They engage with uh, presentations made by other developers, content written by other developers. They engage with white papers. They engage with uh, demos. And uh, so that's what I would look to build. And you may not build it. You may work with a product manager. You may work with something in the someone in the engineering team. Uh, They may write a blog post uh, on a recent uh, SDK that they put together. And so I would urge you to work with someone that actually would be credible to engage with a developer on the type of content that they're looking for. I don't see marketing writing copy for developers that is going to create long-term impact. Sure. It's really all about collaboration then, right? Just making sure you're partnering with the right people. Right. If you're not in a position to write that content, then you should be partnering with someone who can. Yep, definitely. This episode is sponsored by Growth Gorilla, a growth marketing agency focused exclusively on working with fintech startups and scale-ups. Taking a holistic approach to driving growth, they have worked with over 25 brands. From crowdfunding to automated business finance, you'll be in a safe pair of gorilla-sized hands. Check them out at growthgorilla.co.uk. Ready to catalyze your fintech's growth? Switching gears a little bit. So you started working for Marketa in 2019 and you're in charge of PR, demand gen, and, and a whole lot of other marketing strategies. I'd love to hear kind of 
maybe which which marketing has offered the most traction or which one has been most successful for you at Marketo? I think that's a really difficult question because sure. it's a little bit of asking whether you prefer your left or your right hand. And, and some people may be right-handed, but you need both hands to, to effectively do a lot of, of the work that you do. And so the beauty of marketing is that they're almost pillars of a, of a house and, and they work in concert together. And so your demand gen will never be effective unless you're bringing in the right top of the funnel awareness. Your uh, product marketing will fall flat unless you've brought in the right demand through the funnel. And so one has a critical dependence on the other. It's really challenging to say one is more important than the other. That said, I will say that in B2B fintech, I would give a lot of prominence to the role that product marketing plays in concert with demand gen. And the reason is, is you have to spend a lot of time educating the audience on the capabilities of the platform and the problems you solve. Because financial technology is so quickly evolving, a lot of the technologies are disrupting a very agile space, which has been steeped with legacy solutions for a long time. Very often, the adopters of fintech tend to not be payments experts. And so this tends to be a greenfield area for them. And so if I were to pick, I would say that product marketing plays a very important role in the education of the audience uh, regarding the platform, the technology, the problem it solves, and why it solves it better than any legacy solution. Yeah, nice. And I also I also saw that all the delivery app cards in the US are currently marketed by, sorry, powered by Marketa. And um, I'm wondering if that was intentional to target delivery apps and so that then that way it was kind of used across a lot of different like use cases and, and companies. Marketa is the first modern card issuing platform and we launched in market 10 years ago. And what happened is that over the last 10 years, some of the most disruptive companies have embedded payments as a seamless part of their experience. So on-demand delivery is a great example of that, uh, but so is um, the buy now, pay later space where you may shop at the checkout, you decide to pay in installments, you don't even realize, but like the payment and installments just happened automatically behind the scenes for you. You may think about peer-to-peer -peer payments. So for example, if you receive money on Cash App and you instantly put it on a debit card to go spend it at a checkout lane, again, all of that happens so seamlessly that you don't even think twice about it. And that's what Marketa is powering behind the scenes for these companies and these businesses. Was it our intent to say, oh, we're going to go get every major player in the on-demand delivery space? No, because at 10 years ago, that was very nascent and up and coming. But on-demand delivery companies woke up, saw what this technology could do, use Marketa. And then what happened is that developers started building on our platform. We built tools and services to support their success, which then in turn welcomed or got the attention of other on-demand delivery players who said, oh, wow, I need that functionality. Marketa is the, is the platform for me because you know whenever you think of a modern card platform today, Marketa is synonymous with it. So a customer recently mentioned to us that I need to be on Marketa because all the innovation in my industry is happening there. And that's where I need to be in order to be you know, compelling in my, in my industry. And so that's what happened is we solved this very uh, interesting pain point for on-demand delivery. When on-demand delivery companies started 
they they armed their gig workers with prepaid cards uh, to say, hey, go shop on behalf of Jill and Joe and fulfill these orders. And what they found is while that would happen, there'd be an enormous amount of fraud because there was no level of control, right? Imagine someone at the grocery store shopping on your behalf and they're picking up your order, but they also threw in uh, you know, other items, maybe some gum and a Coca-Cola because, you know, they could. And, you know, they there was no control on the cart to stop that from happening. Or worse, they would pick up a wrong order. Say you have ordered dinner and they went to the restaurant and they picked up someone else's order. Now, Marketa powers a card that is in the hands of every gig worker that has zero dollars on the card. You can do nothing with the card. It only activates. It's what we call just-in-time funding. But it will fund that card just in time only when you're picking up exactly what Jill and Joe order. And that could be the level of it's just avocados, olive oil and salt and eggs from the Safeway at 24th and Noe. And, and that's that level of precision and accuracy and control that was never possible on a normal card. And so what they found is when you arm their gig workers with Marketa powered cards, the fraud just completely plummeted because now they knew that there was an enormous amount of control and security. If they were picking up a dinner order, the card would only get activated if it was that particular order from that restaurant. Otherwise the payment just wouldn't go through. So that level of accuracy and control was just not possible on traditional cards. And now they're able to arm millions of gig workers across the country, especially at the time of the pandemic now, where it's not just a question of convenience, it's a question of necessity and safety that people are using on-demand delivery services. They are now able to hire and onboard hundreds of thousands of gig workers and instantly issue an on-demand delivery card for them in their digital wallet that shows up on their phone within hours of them getting hired so that they, they can go out and shop. So that whole idea of, oh, you need to wait seven to 10 days for a card to show up in the mail and then activate it just is not necessary anymore because they're issuing these cards on Marketa. So it's really not only helps them lower their fraud, but also help them scale really fast. And that's mattered, especially during this past year in the pandemic. So that's an example of how we've enabled the on-demand delivery experience and, and why it's been a no-brainer then for other on-demand delivery companies to say, hey, that's the card we need because uh, that allows us to scale quickly and securely. That's really interesting. I'm wondering if um, that feature of, of your Marketa cards, is that something you implemented when you realized that there was a problem or was it already a feature before you realized that this was a problem? No, it's actually listening to our customers that we yeah. uh, that we came up with the just-in-time funding and uh, we pioneered it. So we were the first to the market with that. And it's because what we hear uh, from companies is the problem that they're solving. They're like, hey, this is the problem I'm experiencing and I don't know how to solve it. And then that's when we built to solve those problems. Another example is tokenization as a service which is um, JP Morgan Chase now uses our service to say, hey, I'm already issuing cards on this platform that we've been using for decades, but I need the ability to instantly issue those cards to wallets because I just don't like that our customers have to wait seven to 10 days for their card in the mail. And so JP Morgan Chase is now using Marketa uh, to instantly issue cards to wallets. So we focus on the problem. And when you focus on that problem, you're able to build to it. No one came and said, hey, we want just-in-time funding because it never existed before. Yeah, that's really cool. And it really shows you how feedback is so essential. In And it's also kind of doing a lot of the marketing for you in a way, because when you're fixing you know, Uber's problem 
or JP Morgan Chase's problem, they will use your card yes or yes. Like it's, uh, there's no question about it because you're literally fixing the, the problem that they have. So it's in a weird way, it's also a marketing strategy or, or is making marketing part of the product, product marketing, what you said before, uh, which is really, really interesting to hear. I really like that. That's right. There's no better marketing than listening to your customer and solving their problems. Exactly. And also marketers in an, in an interesting position because you're catering to both, you just said it yourself, both incumbents and high growth startups, right? Like Uber and then JP Morgan Chase. Um, so it's quite a complicated ecosystem because you kind of have to market to both of them. How have you kind of managed that and how do you maybe shift gears or how do you change your 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 approach with each target market? We focus on the horizontal nature of the platform. And we talk about what developers can build on our platform. We talk about the tools and the capabilities. And so our tagline, for example, is you see a card, we see endless possibilities. And that's, I think, at the heart of the platform, which is someone like a DoorDash or Uber can build on it, Google can build on it, and JP Morgan Chase and Goldman Sachs can build on it. It's the entire breadth. So it's really the question of if you have a problem, a payment problem, where you as a business are looking to make funds flow in a secure, controlled way, you should probably think about building that on Marketa. And so, again, we focus on the problem, less on the name or the label of what the customer may have in terms of a vertical. I see. So everything is, it's not exactly, you wouldn't go to uh incumbents and say, you know, we're building content just for incumbents. It's more, uh, I think this is also called jobs to be done, right? Kind of where you're focusing on what you're fixing rather than a persona, a buyer persona. I don't know if you do buyer personas at Marketa, or is it more like just, you know, this is the problem we're fixing and this is all we're going to focus on. There are many ways to slice and dice the problem. Um, and at the highest level, buyer personas are very helpful. We do have them. And at the highest level, we, we talk about jobs to be done and problems to be solved. So that's at the highest level. Now, that said, when we start engaging with a bank, then we speak to their specific use case. So even from our website, you'll see on the left-hand side under platform, we talk about the problems we solve. And then we talk about solutions. And in solutions, it's really talking about who are you? Are you a large financial institution? Then here are the problems that we solve for you. Or are you an on-demand delivery company? Here are the problems we solve for you. And it's still helpful because that's the lens they're wearing. And so, again, wearing the lens of, okay, you're in your customer shoes. What's top of mind for them? They're seeing the problem through a certain lens. So it's always helpful to speak in that language. But we start with the problems. Then we move into the vertical use cases. Yes. And, and another aspect of that is location, geography, right? Because Marketa, although you're based in the US, I mean, the, was founded in the US, you now cater to uh, a lot of different countries around the world. Have you also taken a different approach to APAC, for example, or Europe? Or are you also just saying, you know, that's just another slice. That's just something else that we're adding to our jobs to be done, buyer persona uh, and, and framework in general? We take a differentiated approach in markets. So we operate in 35 markets globally, and we have a local team in Europe uh, on the ground in the UK that's very much focused on the use cases and problems they're seeing in Europe. And there are differences because the payment system in Europe is very different. Uh, interchange is very different. And so the messaging varies. And the way we address it is by ensuring that we have a local autonomous team that's operating together 
to say, okay, who are the target customers we're going after? What are the problems we're solving for them? And how do we ensure that we have the right story, the right messaging, the right content to address that? I think a lot of companies make the mistake of assuming that what they're going to see in America is the same as what they're going to see in New Zealand as France. And, and we really wanted to take a, a hyper-localized approach when it comes to the marketing. Sure, that makes sense. So my, my final question to you today is um, on LinkedIn, you've you've posted before that people in general are not really interested in consuming huge amounts of content. And it's true because we're co constantly bombarded, right? So how, as a marketer, does, how can we stand out? I'm not sure if it's the right word, but uh, how can we market our company without overwhelming potential customers with huge amounts of content? Yeah, the post that I shared is that the average attention of, of a consumer, of a person, has plummeted over the years. And, and now it's barely three seconds. And so the challenge for marketers is how do you engage them in, in such a short time? And I think that there's a danger here, as you're seeing in the news cycles, as you're seeing in media, is that people quickly devolve to the lowest common denominator, which is using hype, uh, which is using uh, hyperbolic language, uh, because that's what will get the clicks, right? Uh, you put a big exclamation point at it, you be as divisive as possible, and that gets people's attention. And I think in marketing, it's very easy to go there, and it's, it's honestly a race to the bottom uh, when you go down that path, and it's very hard to recover from it. And um, th that I think is our challenge for our generation, which is how do you not devolve to the lowest common denominator of sensationalism uh, in marketing of just you know, creating hype for the sake of it, but focusing instead on being clever, being engaging, being pithy, being compelling. And within those three seconds, then earning the right to have a longer conversation. But that is still important. And our responsibility is to earn the right to continue that. What we shouldn't do is then become a bite machine where all of our marketing is given in three second bites. And then we are uh, an inch deep and a mile wide. Definitely. And I love this quote by Julian. He's an online growth marketer. And he says that actually people don't have a short attention spans. They have short consideration spans. And that's pretty much what you're saying, right? Is that we can, they're willing to watch three hour Joe Rogan episodes and binge watch TV shows. But the problem is that we need to hook them, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And so be compelling in the limited time you have so that you can earn the right to have a more meaningful conversation. Yeah. Perfect. Great. Thanks so much, Vidya, for coming on the podcast today. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find all the information and show notes over at fintechmarketinghub.com. If you'd like to come on the podcast or just share some feedback, don't hesitate to get in touch with us. We're always looking for ways to improve the podcast. That's all for today. See you next time.